0: Welcome to the Dewhawk Digest, the podcast for all things Loris College. Mars has been a popular subject in the news this month, particularly with the landing of the Mars Perseverance rover on February 18th. Joining me to talk space exploration is analog astronaut and Loris alumna, Beth Mund, who simulated a Mars mission this past November in Hawaii. I'm Robert Waterbury, Assistant Director of Campus Communications, and I'm pleased to welcome the aforementioned Beth Mund to the show. Welcome to the DoHawk Digest.
1: Hi, Robert. It's so good to be with you.
0: I'm so excited. I mean, this is, I mean, for you being a space person and this past month, I mean, you just have to be geeking out with everything that's going on.
1: It's kind of the time, right? There yeah. is a lot going on. And for those of us in the space industry, it's it's fun because we kind of do work months and years ahead. Even the recent Mars landing that we just witnessed, they have been planning that for years. And then of course it's been traveling to the planet for months. It's odd to think that it launched in August and we're just now watching it come back into the surface and land, but that's how it works in the space industry. And I think we're back into this wonderful era where people are seeing things more and more in this world of space industry and space activity that's a great thing, thanks to commercial space and a lot of other agencies that are able to put resources towards space exploration. So now is the time.
0: Absolutely, well, and before we get too deep in our discussion, like my first question is, what is a, an analog astronaut?
1: Oh, good question. <laughs> so analog is the word I would like to focus on. And analog, as we all would assume, means data. So, um, analog astronaut is someone who creates the data and shares it with the bigger picture missions. And we pass that data along. So we are adventurers and we're explorers, just like the astronauts, a real astronaut, if I may make that reference, we stay on earth and we stay on earth in order to test And practice and gather the data. So if we want to test in an analog astronaut, can do many, many things. You can look at robotics, you can look at human behavior, which is often the case, you can look at team. cohesiveness. You can look at your biologics and what we're going to be needing to eat and use and how much water and all these resources. You can also look at your environment. So all of these things as an analog astronaut between, it depends on what field of science you're in. If you're an astrobiologist, you want to study the rocks, but you also want to study the tools that you will need to bring on these trips. So you go on earth into these remote places. For me, it was in Hawaii and at the top of a volcanic mountain, because those lava tubes are very much like what we'll experience on a Martian surface. And so they're sharp, they're jagged, they're difficult to drill into, and some are, some are softer, some are uh, more porous, everything we're going to encounter on Mars. So if I want to practice a Mars Rover, if I want to practice drilling, if I want to practice a sample return... As an analog astronaut, it's wonderful to have that opportunity so that we can fail. Failure brings the data and failure brings the opportunity for us to go back and say, you know what? We thought that getting to this location and digging and doing a core sample and drilling and bringing it back was going to take mm, two hours, 40 minutes. Well, it might take that over the course of the seven times we've tried, but on Mars, we'll have to double that because the suits are more restrictive in the oxygen is less, you know, um, available. So those are why analog astronauts are perfect candidates to practice and then share that data. And then the companies, the agencies, and anyone who's looking to go into space can use that data. And that's often the goal and apply it to the future missions that we will need to have some kind of reference point on. So, an analog astronaut is very much sometimes the first, or at least one of the people who are thinking about how to project solutions into the kinds of problems we're going to experience as we e- explore other worlds.
0: Sure. So it's like early troubleshooting in terms of before yeah. you get on the mission, just really test, do a couple of test runs, and see what uh, what really what's out there.
1: Yes, exactly. And I might point out that a lot of astronauts start off as analog astronauts because they want to be in those situations. They want to be able to think through those those challenges and they want to start getting used to being confined, whether it's in the facility or in the environment or practicing EVAs. You know, analog missions can be anything from on top of a mountain to underneath the earth to underneath the water. And you can be, or even on a ship. So there are a lot of opportunities, depending on, again, your field and what you're looking to accomplish or practice and what data you're looking to come to gather. You can do it. And that's wonderful. There's analog missions all over the world.
0: So, yeah, in in November 2020, you did a mission in on the big island in Hawaii, as you mentioned, uh, simulating Mars. And now you talked about you're on top of volcanoes. This is not on a beach sipping Mai Tais. This is, no, this is, this is, I, I, that was I love later. Yeah. I, I love your description and <laughs> in, in, uh, on your website where you talk about the experience and you said you survived the experience. This yes, it's fantastic. So, Kind of take me through what was what was it like being in this, vol- on this volcano in Hawaii?
1: I just, I'm so excited to share this with you because it was so out of my comfort zone. And whenever you accomplish something, like whether you run a marathon, whether you cook a successful meal for the first time and it tastes delicious, you know, you really kind of have to take yourself out of your comfortable COVID protected world, right? And that was the first challenge is I had to test, test, and retest and make sure we were all safe and healthy and well, that was first and then there was the paperwork and the um, applications just to travel. And that was interesting because things were fluid and changing and we had to, you know, the state of Hawaii required something different. The airlines had something even different. So getting there was half the battle. And then once we were there, we nobody got any mis- misunderstandings. It was very clearly communicated to us that we would be on the top of a mountain and that was darn true. So there was no, we did not see any beaches. We did not see any palm trees. (laughs) This was like arrive at the, at the airport, get in the van, drive two hours up to the top of the mountain, pass the military base of seclusion that is purposefully positioned on the, on that part of the mountain for a reason and go past that. And we worked our way up slowly to the top of the mountain. And as we looked over, we were on Mauna Loa and Mauna Kea was the other volcanic mountain um, across from us. And in between us was this beautiful valley in which there was very little vegetation because we're that high up and the clouds were below us. So now I'm starting to paint the picture of how incredibly high we were. And that's a good thing because on the other volcano. There were, which by the way was inactive. There are the observatories and there are many because this volcanic height um, allows them to observe the stars without obstruction closer than anywhere else in the U S and it's gorgeous, but we didn't know that yet. We're still trying to get our, (laughs) make our way into the habitat, which is the structure that because of the deep and sincere history of the Hawaiian people and culture, the structure itself has to be 100% renewable and removable. So it is literally made on a structured frame of aluminum and steel with a canvas top so that at any given moment, it can be disassembled and removed from the island. If the government and institutions were to ask. Now it's been there for over 10 years. So that's certainly not the case, but we recognize, you know, Hawaii's history. And so everything you do has to be sustainable and it can't have any um, damage to the environment. So knowing that all the resources you bring in, you must take out. And I'm going to say that again, for you to really think that through with biologics, all the resources you take in, (laughs) you must also take out with you. So our water supply, our food supply, the things we were going to consume or use or test or borrow or anything. It just had to make sure that we were using it in situ, as they say on the spot, and then packing it all up and leaving it just the way we found it, including the area around and outside the domed habitat. So yes, survival was a big part in the beginning of just arriving. And then it was about thriving. So meeting our strangers as a crew, um, meeting each other, getting to know each other, how we're going to operate, how we're going to successfully complete the mission. What, what are we going to eat each day? And that sounds silly. You can't just go in the pantry and get the cereal box and pour the milk and call it a a meal. (laughs) So everything had to be hydrated and kind of had to be thought out because at that altitude, you had to cook things longer. So you had to start your meal prep process A little bit in further out than just sitting down and being hungry, which we found out the hard way pretty fast. (laughs) So, the simple things like eating and working and, you know, just kind of functioning, those were challenges in the beginning. And then once you got into the pace, then you started into the science and your responsibilities on the mission, and then some exploring as we did some EVAs or. They're commonly known as spacewalks. And we got to go outside the hab. And I do want to point out that we had a team back in mission control. That was about an hour and a half down the mountain that was helping support us and watch us. And just like on earth, um, we simulated a true mission so that our time communicating with earth was delayed. So we couldn't just call up earth and ask what was going on or receive a signal or ask, you know, how the latest sports team went or who the president was even all of this was delayed and it was limited. We didn't have communications with earth. And when we did, they were through mission control. So even going out on an EVA walk was prepared long and advanced and it was scheduled and then it was approved and we worked as the team for some of us to go and some of us to stay back in the habitat. And I can go on and on. I feel like if you want to ask me some more questions, cause I can continue to talk, but one of the folks that was with us, our commander was a geologist and she was showing us the extremophiles that we found in the lava tubes. And these are creatures or biologics that live in extreme places on our Earth. And if you think about when you ever see those plate tectonics underneath the ocean, when you know the the um, plates are rubbing against each other, and then some of the sulfuric hot you know activity is happening under the water, and these are places where the pressure is incredible. There's no natural light from the sun, and yet there's creatures living in these rocks. Well, the same is true underneath the earth in the lava tubes, where there's limited sun and water and resources. And when we crawled down into them with our fully encapsulated in our space suits and our helmets, and we go down into these lava tubes, our commander, um, Dr. Michaela Musalova, who's an astrobiologist at first, she says, okay, now keep an eye on the environment around you. And as soon as we went down and turned that black light, it was as if a botanical garden was surrounding us all over the walls, which you would never know unless you were an astrobiologist and you studied these things. So what an experience for us. And that's exactly what it's going to be like when we go to Mars, we're going to need the astrobiologists and the rovers and the engineers and all the systems folks to show us where to look for these extremophiles. And then it's going to take a team of specialists to, to know how to go and get to them carefully, maybe observe them carefully, and perhaps even sample them and perhaps bring them back. And again, these are all things we practice while we're on our mission on the simulation.
0: Sure. And how long, how long were you in the simulation? How many so I days? got lucky.
1: Yeah, I was there for just over two weeks. Okay. And there was some pre and post activities that were required from us as well. Um, both getting to know each other, applications, science, research and proposals and all those things. And then afterwards, to be honest, we needed some time to just be in Hawaii, <laughs> take a breath and eat. Robert, what's the first thing you would eat if you came back from Mars?
0: Oh, there's too many options to choose from. I don't know. What was, what was your, what did, what did you go right for?
1: Yeah. Texture. We wanted greens like nobody's business. And you <laughs> want to think that, but if you take something out of your diet for so long, and then you're like, I I'm craving a salad and I want the flavor of a steak. So that first night that we were all kind of back on earth, or we got to go into um, a town in Hawaii and we got to have anything we wanted to eat. Of course, we did that exactly that, and we were all so sick because we introduced the food, and then we were like, "But it was worth it, Robert." It was <laughs> so worth it.
0: <laughs> well, and, and you're, you're describing just arriving there, knowing you're you're above the clouds and looking down at these. I mean, is that's got to feel? And obviously, you are isolated. But what's that feeling of isolation for those two weeks? I mean, you're you're the small crew of people, and you're, as you say, your contact is only with this one. One line of contact with Mission Control. I mean, what was it like to, yeah. to be to be isolated like that?
1: So I think a lot of folks can recognize this because we've all had to be isolated in some way, shape or form lately. And, you know, we've been tucked inside our house and however we've chosen to stay safe or stay remote, it's been a real change. And so it's odd to have gone that far on a plane and then go that long on a van and then finally get into this facility where you're not going to go outside. (laughs) And if you are going to go outside, you're going to be fully dressed it's not like you're getting fresh air and you're, you know, walking through the garden when we were outside, everything had to be covered. We had the true, we, you know, we had our self contained system for breathing. So the, there was, now I do want to point out, this is a simulation. So there was a moment where our helmets didn't quite capture the gap between our suits and our actual hard plastic helmet. Um, and the helmets were top quality they worked great but there was this gap and because we were not wearing real suits and that little amount of fresh air that kind of blew up through our chin and into our face was heaven because <laughs> you want to be outside you miss fresh air you miss the sun on your face you miss the sounds and just that little bit of breath air and i must also say at that altitude just walking was a little more challenging, you know, just kind of breathing was a little heavier and more forced because you are at a high altitude. <clears throat> so that fresh air, even though it was just little tiny snippets of it, it was well received. And we love. we lived for being able to get outside. We did have two windows One was in the back in the laboratory and it looked out um, at the mountain, like pretty close right up to the mountain, as if you were looking at a garage, like something kind of right next adjacent to the habitat. So not much to see there, but the other window that we called the kitchen area, the work area was glorious. And you cannot believe how many, how six people can gather in front of a window. And it was very much our entertainment. It was our exposure to the outside world. We were able to see if it was raining, storming, sunny, cloudy. It was glorious to have that window. And I, I wonder how we're going to do when we have environments where there won't be windows, which I'm about to experience soon, as I just got the word that I'm going to be participating in another analog pretty soon in March. And this one will be completely under the ground. So I will know what it will be like to not have a window.
0: (laughs) Congratulations. That's fantastic.
1: I know. I'm so excited. I've got a lot to pack. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> and coming soon in March. So yeah, you've got a, a quick transition.
1: I know.
0: Is that another Mars? I'm, a- I'm almost ready. Is it another Mars? It's in
1: another country. Oh. It is a lunar expedition okay. and it's in another country. And um, I'm just starting to get confirmation. So I totally want to share more. But until the rest of my crew is announced and it's made official, I'm definitely going. Um, it's just a matter of celebrating as soon as I have that plane ticket and we start the journey <laughs> and everyone's safe and ready and well. But well, I'm very I, excited.
0: Well, that's cool. So a, a quick early preview on, on the. You uh, bet. From our podcast to get that out. But so it uh, will take me back a little bit. So, so young Beth Mund. And her experiences, what was it that got you so passionate about space?
1: Oh my gosh. When I was at LORIS, it was so much fun to be in this place where you could be and do anything truly so I love that I could take some classes and this is the case now it wasn't so much when I was there but I love that you can take like astronomy for non-majors oh I could have just died if I had that when I was at Loris astronomy is tough you know and there's lots of reasons that can be um Uh, it can be challenging. So sometimes you just want to take a class to feel it out. Sometimes you just want to see, you know, I want to take a natural sciences, even if it's not my chosen degree that I want to explore. And that's what I loved about Loras is it kind of let you have these opportunities. And, you know, of course they added to your grade and your experience, but it really felt like the safe environment in place in which you can explore. And I've always been an explorer. I mean, I haven't really sat still long, so I like seeing new places. And but I like challenging myself as well. And that was another opportunity I got to do at Loris. If you would have told me, um, you know, that I was going to be able to work for NASA, and then I was going to be able to, you know, share this new podcast and have these experiences and end up being an analog astronaut. I would never, I would have never thought that, but I can look back and point directly to, to, Loris, where some of my teachers and professors said, you know, you should take this idea you have in your thesis in this class and put it into a master's thesis and go examine that because you are going to get your master's right. And it was Loris that put that bug in my ear. I was never thinking, you know, go on and get your master's, but mm-hmm. thank goodness Loris does both things, encourage you and enable you to do those things that might, you know, you, you might say to yourself, um, am I worthy enough? Can I do this? Am I capable? Is this in my plan? Loris is there to give you that push, to give you that encouragement. They always have. And so looking back, the young Beth would have never in a million years, unless I had had that from colleagues and professionals. and My honestly, my professors shout out to Dr. Mary Lynn Newhouse, who said, take this paper. Put it in your master's thesis, get going, go do it. And I was blown away.
0: So were you interested in space before you came to Loris? Or was it totally discovered here? Okay. I
1: was, but not a serious space, like I wasn't studying it. I was sure. heavy, heavily studying communication. I knew that was my skill set. So I did spend many a night at the Heidenkamp Planetarium though which was lovely. I love what we have now. It's so upgraded. It's so beautiful. And I love that the community has always been able to come and share it. But if you, have you been to a show yet?
0: I have. Yes.
1: Yes, right? So it is just mind blowing. And Mm -hmm. it's such a gem to have that on the campus and to have something that can be so inspiring. And as we're talking about the things that are happening in space, the folks over there, they have it queued up, they know exactly what's going on and how they can showcase it. And they're really helping to share and tell the story. And they're beyond wise, they know how to answer the questions, because they're students that are volunteering or putting together that program, and they're making it very timely. So Again, what a resource to have on campus. And that was part of what kind of drove me to know that, you know, right here, I can literally walk (laughs) and enjoy a show and then start thinking about space some more. And how can I be part of this industry if I'm not a science major, or I'm not looking to explore this as an engineer or traditional science paths. And, you know, I never really worried about that. I thought about it, but I knew that communication was always going to be where I landed. Um, So I continued in that path and wove my way in through NASA that way as a communicator.
0: Well, and I, I love that, you know, your interest in space, it's not really necessarily where you're you're thinking you're going to go. And so of all places, you know, like, I'm, you know, where your career is now the first thing you are like, well, I went to school in Dubuque. You know, it's not, you know, it wouldn't be the natural collection, but I, I love your, how you describe the way Laura set this up for you, how, you know, that's such an integral role and then how, you know, you wouldn't, Come here thinking that well this is why I'm going to be an astronaut because I'm going to go yeah study in, in at Loras College in Dubuque but but it worked out that way because just the the, the way the Loras culture and community is set up
1: yes so foundational because it really again it encouraged me to say well why not well why not take this into a masters program well why not write all your papers to include a science or a space theme to it and i did that i still don't know how i got away with that because <laughs> any assignment i had it had space inside it woven in between it somehow and i can only imagine my professors going oh, okay not really on. This didn't really hit the mark, but she's writing about space again. I know what I'm getting with Beth.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I, I just really appreciate you coming in and talking. And, and, it's, and it's not like you have not stayed connected with Loris. You are actually part of uh, the Loris Women's Leadership Alliance. And yeah. we, I know we've recorded a podcast with you previously that I'll, I'll share the link up with that. But so, yeah, it, it's that I love that the passion is not just I graduated and I moved on, but it's you—you stay connected to Loris.
1: I love it. Yes, absolutely. And when they asked me to be part of that opportunity with the women's with the Women's Leadership Alliance, it was perfect. It was perfectly aligned in a perfect fit because it's. I think it was easy to look back and say, "Who do I see in my role that I would like to follow?" And I just, I didn't have that. Who wasn't from the Midwest who wanted to study space at a Catholic liberal arts college (laughs) that went on to become a success at NASA or in a program? It wasn't there. So it's my responsibility and it's in my DNA to turn around and say, well, I did that. Thank you, Loris. And now, Anyone who wants to follow in this path, and certainly not my path, but in a unique path that doesn't necessarily start at Loris, but gets encouraged at Loris, oh, yeah, I'm going to be extending my hand out to these women. Who are naturally leaders and leaders in the sense that maybe not leading people, but leading in their field or leading in their ideas or innovation? Because it did take something very brave of me to say, you know, I've done everything I can here at this institution. I know I need to go further than this. And yet I don't know what that is. So I'm going to lead in my own way. And there really were no rules and no paths. So you just, those are the women that I just want to embrace and encourage, and give them anything I can, so that they can start at Loris and take it all the way.
0: Yeah, well, and one way that they can stay connected to you. So you just launched uh, within the last couple of weeks, Bethmund.com. So you have your yeah. own website, and, and I do need to plug before. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll give a, give you a chance to talk about it, but I want to make sure we plug the the podcast that you host on there, which is the Casual Space with Beth Mund, which it's fantastic it is you know a combination of entertainment and education it's so it's such a good podcast
1: oh thank you i love doing it so here's the story i can't believe if anyone has ever said oh my gosh you know i set out to do this one thing and it didn't really end up that way keep focused stay with it because even though i worked at nasa i mean i can't even believe i'm saying those words sometimes. Now I'm able to talk to more people, more folks in the industry, from CEOs to astronauts, to innovators, engineers, authors, all of them. And I would not have been able to do that at NASA. I would have had a very focused job. It would have required all my time and energy. And then NASA keeps you focused. You know, it's not like they would have proved for me to start my own podcast, independent of NASA. Maybe they would these days, but I have been able to have this privilege to share these conversations And I would have never been able to do that at NASA. So how lucky am I? I mean, and thank you for saying those kind words because education and entertainment is exactly the goal of the show. And we just finished up the Mund on Mars series, which is my collection from my conversations with all my crewmates, all six of us that were there on the Mars surface, aka Hawaii. And what an inspiring, each episode is their own journey and their own narrative and their own on the mission that they either had to overcome or they're continuing to do. One of them was, um, a woman who's in the air force and believe it or not, you know, she's still working. You would think she'd have a ticket to ride and she has to work terribly hard to get into her space industry goals. There's some folks who were, um, one was a doctor, one and a veterinarian who had some really interesting sound studies. And then of course, our astrobiologist, I'm a space communicator. So I had a narrative study that I was doing and everything, so on and so forth. So sharing those stories is part of the goal of the show. And then we just get to have fun conversations like with you, Robert, talk about space. And that is such a gift. So here I am in my communication Skills being able to apply that to my field in space, and so it kind of all works out,
0: yeah, it's fantastic. And like I said, so Beth Muns of and D.com, we'll actually link that uh, with the show notes for this so that everybody can go explore. And, and obviously, with your new lunar uh, simulation coming up, yeah, we know that to find out more, kind of follow you there, <laughs> just kind of see what's actually happening. And then once it happens, obviously, it'll be months down the road, but I, I know there'll be a series of. A podcast following up on oh, that, yeah. too, to get get all the, oh so much the, all the inside scoop yeah. that.
1: It is. I love that I got to tease it a little bit here because I'm still obviously like I said, making my logistics and plans, but it's going to be such a great opportunity for me to compare a Mars mission to a lunar mission. I'm going to miss my family. That's always the challenge. And that will be the challenge moving forward. And, you know, no matter how sexy and exciting space exploration sounds, we're comfortable humans. We have our ways of the world, right? We love our family. We love our dogs and our comfy bed. And you've got to step out of all of that when you go. And Even when you practice, it's hard to leave, but you know, the joys of what you're going to experience. So I'll be able to take a real good, hard look at what is it like to go to Mars and what's it going to be like to go to the moon. And I'm happy to say that the moon is much closer as we know. So I will be able to communicate without delay. And I'm looking forward to that. So even though I'll be at a far location, I will be able to keep in touch with my family this time. So I'm, I'm embracing that. I'm looking forward to that.
0: I already know it's going to be a slightly different experience and, and for the better in that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, Beth, thank you so much for, for taking time and kind of sharing your experiences between space and, and your Loris experiences as well, and kind of letting us know what you're up to. And actually I'm so more excited, even more excited and we get to see what else you're up to moving forward.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you, Robert. And, you know, I just want to share my love and sincere hope for everyone at Laura's to stay safe and well. I'm so glad that everyone's going to be able to stay on campus and continue in the best way possible. That warms my heart to know that everyone's going to be able to do that and continue. And please, if anyone has questions about being an analog astronaut, about working at NASA, about being in this industry, communication, science, or other, contact me anytime. You can find me at com. I'm on Twitter and Facebook and all the channels and everything else. And then come join us on the podcast and join in these conversations that we have so much fun. I'm, I'm happy to share, but please do reach out. I'd be lo- happy to connect or network with you, especially the Loris community. If there's anything I can do, don't hesitate.
0: Yeah. And, and I know speaking from the Laura's standpoint, we definitely want to hear more from you moving forward. So.
1: Okay. Well, yeah. let me get back from the moon. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so you'll be definitely be hearing from <laughs> me moving forward. I, I'll le- I'll let you go to the moon first, but then after that, we'll, we'll, we'll bother you again.
1: <laughs> yeah. And Robert, I just want to tell you this one last story. When I got home, we, it was just about uh, the entire month of November I was gone And it was all encompassed with the mission and being in Hawaii. And then I got home and it was December 2nd. I'm finding out who the president is. The whole world seems to have turned upside down with all the activity and the drama of everything going on. And I just wanted to kind of be home and be comforted. And I got one of the first holiday cards from President Jim Collins at home from Loris that was such an incredible and I just want to share that to speak to the community that Loras is because as far as I went and then as as much as I was looking forward to coming home it's those ties and those little things that make the Loris community great and why I continue to be a part of it and supporting it because just to imagine to have that you were physically gone and then you, you know literally simulating being on mars to come home to a loris community note i mean come on it was just wonderful so shout out to how that works and why we are so valued as a loris community that cares for each other and is deeply rooted in you know sincerely knowing where our faith and our exploration and drive to be good stewards and good earthlings (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for sh- sharing that. And that's so very well said. So, Beth Bunn, thank you again for joining me. Thank you, Robert. All right. and, and thank you to our producer, Trent Hanselman. And also thank you to everyone who listened into our discussion. For more podcasts, as well as Loras news and features, be sure to visit the Loras Daily website at daily.loras.edu. If you consume your podcasts through iTunes and Spotify, feel free to check out the DoHawk Guide just there as well. We hope you'll join us next time for another Doohawk Digest. Till then, take care of yourselves and each other, and go Doohawks!